Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. I'm coming to you from Primitive Elevated Wellness in downtown Boston, 200 High Street. And today I'm going to be interviewing for Let's Be Blunt, Miss Marie St. Fleur, who is a uh, legislator, former uh, member of the DA's office, um, but now actually is a cannabis advocate. You really don't want to miss this. So stay tuned. Let's Be Blunt starts right now. <laughs> Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. My guest today is served as a state legislator for representative for the state of Massachusetts for 11 years. She's the first Haitian American selected to state office in the United States and the first woman to serve as vice chair of the powerful committee of Ways and Means. Before that, she served as an assistant district attorney, and she is also very passionate, get this, advocate for medical cannabis, and justice reform. Please welcome Marie St. Fleur. Great to be with you, Mark. Did I say it right? You said it right. Okay, Saint I got Fleur. it. It's yeah. really St. Fleur. Ah, right? uh, St. Fleur. That's there you right. Go. All right, cool. Go. My goodness. Okay, well, let's so back up a little bit. Tell me about your upbringing. Where were you raised? Were you raised here? Were you raised in Haiti? I was raised in Upham's Corner in Dorchester and um, came here when I was six years old. Um, had a chance to get a decent education here um, in the city of Boston and went off to college, law school, and then came back and living in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. Wow, and then when you came back, you came back and assistant district attorney. Mm -hmm. Come on now. Yes, and that was, you know, honestly, you know, went to, in my neighborhood, we're trying to figure out for me is, what do you do um, to make our circumstances better? That's the reason I went to law school. And um, when I got there, I learned, I began to learn the impact of the law on the lives of the people that lived around me. And I thought that there was an opportunity to go make a difference there. I was going to be a defense attorney. So I did a clinical. Um, Professor Goldfarb, professor who was very supportive of me, had me go do a, a clinical at Dorchester District Court. And as I sat watching the interaction between judge, police, defendant in that court, I realized that the power sat with the judge and the police officer and the defense attorney did not have as much an influence. Gotcha. So you wanted to get on that I side? I wanted to get on that side to figure out how to, to, to influence that. And when you first got involved, let's back up for a second. Did you have any interest in cannabis before you got in the legislature? No, no. Okay. So came from that kind of family where that would not have been something that you looked upon as something positive. Cannabis was not have been, that was not part of the, family, Haitian, family. the Haitian family. And then let's, um, let's, let's make yeah. sure while you, if you're yeah. touching that, let's touch on that a little bit because a lot of people have this misconception that anybody from the islands is, everybody from the islands is trying their best to figure out how to get a little buzz. That's not true. That is definitely not Especially true. Especially places like Jamaica, even yeah. the Bahamas. But, uh, yeah. Haiti, yep. you know, there has always been pushback against cannabis. Yes. Part of that goes all the way back, a lot of people don't understand, goes all the way back to our original roots on this side of the Atlantic anyway. That's correct. Because what people don't understand is that, remember, let's go back to late 1600s, early 1700s. You know, there was no air conditioning, folks. That's right. You were going out and, uh, sorry, going to the bathroom in the woods and using leaves. Mm -hmm. Let's get this straight. Mm -hmm. And so back then, to help subdue slaves, to help keep, you know, remember, again, when we're rewriting history, we're not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. 
We write history in ways that think that, you know, hmm, those plantation owners, all they had to do was whip you once or twice and everybody fell in line and started picking cotton. Eh, hell no. As much as they could influence you with substances like cannabis, mm -hmm. which was used to basically not make us docile, mm -hmm. but to give you something other to think about. Mm -hmm. Cannabis was used on a lot of plantations. Mixed in food for mm -hmm. the slaves. Mm -hmm. Cannabis was used, but it was also part of medicinal um, the medicinal culture of sure. the African experience. Yes. But they did not use it in a positive way with us. Right. And so it began to have a bad connotation Correct. Um, and, for us. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that. You know, cannabis didn't just come out of the Golden Triangle. <laughs> There's been cannabis on the African continent That's since right. day one. That's right. Let's get this straight, folks. That's so right. anyway. All right. And we're talking about, you know, like coming growing up in a... In a uh, family that really wasn't that supportive no. of cannabis, when you got into legislature, you got into, sorry, you got your law degree yeah. and you decided to go and work for the district, district attorney, were, were you more thinking in terms of the evils of what cannabis was doing for our community rather than any benefit? I was thinking about the evil. Okay. And honestly, it was the evil in terms of what drugs was doing to our community at right. the time. And cannabis was one of those items that was um, listed. But what I also saw was the unfairness about how those laws were were implemented. Because right. um, the reality is the significant number of young people that were being um, charged. So, for example, you had a better chance of being charged with the possession of cannabis if you were black or Latino no um, than if you were white. Since um, day one, 1937, yeah. the Marijuana Tax Act right. went into place. If you go back right now, folks, and you do a little research yourself, which you should do, it is probably somewhere around 70, 71 to 2 percent of all rest That's since correct. 1937 have been people of color. That's correct. And, you know, again, when you're talking about a product that was also in the 1800s used medicinally, especially mm -hmm. those after the Civil War, you can go back and go to any library in this country, pull out a newspaper from 1881, 1891, go back to the classifieds. Probably 80% of the tinctures that are there or the medications that mm -hmm. are there have some roots in cannabis. People don't know that. I we were, we, you know, I, oh, for those of you who are trying to figure out, well, Montar, you can't be. Yeah, are you really telling the truth? Yeah, I'm telling you the truth. All of our forefathers grew hemp, mm -hmm. cannabis. If you go back and you look at it, you know, back in the early 1700s, you could pay your taxes mm -hmm. with hemp. But the problem is they didn't tell us that history, right? right. And no. so we didn't understand that. And so we started, when I was coming up as a, I call it a baby DA, ADA, mm -hmm. your goal was to enforce the law. Right. And the law at that time was to incarcerate people who were found in possession or well, under the law said they were trafficking, um, depending upon what the statute was, your goal was to enforce it. Uh, the unfairness of the enforcement was quite what was quite clear. Right. What we didn't also see is the what the collateral damage right. that occurred as a result of that. So you 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 lock up a young person, that young person now can no longer get um a, um, a Pell Grant. Mm -hmm. um, they can't go forward with their education. Right. Um, you destroy the, the, the families. You destroy neighborhoods. That was the impact of that. And that and, was the yeah. intended impact well, of I, that. 
Well, I would agree. Well, you know what? But I mean, I, I would I'm, agree. I'm so sorry. You know, I, I, I would I, agree. I hate to come off like, you know, I'm. I'm but I didn't radical. understand that at the time. But I'm, now I, but now I understand. Even right now, it's more important that people recognize and understand what really took place during the latter part of the 60s, mm-hmm. early part of the 70s. Go back to Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon That's made sure right. that, you know, we uh, somebody thinks that, you know, that crack was born in Compton. It was not. Mm-hmm. Crack was born in, you know, South America and made sure it was flown into Compton. You know, we had a president who was actually distributing, making sure that, you know, when, when finally, you know, it's unfortunate. I feel really bad because, um, you know, I'm in my last quarter. Like, you know, so many of you get a little older and, you know, unfortunately, I'll be gone before the truth is told. Mm-hmm. And the truth will get told one day. You know, even though it's not being told yet, mm-hmm. it's still going to get told one day. And the fact that it you know, started, the, it, it started, started, but that mission was not just one that you were on. That mission was one that was told to every DA across yeah. the country. Yeah. You know, and, you know, when our, our we started commercializing our prison system, we recognized that we needed an easy way to keep it full. Mm-hmm. And the easy way to keep it full was to go into the black neighborhood and find the person carrying cannabis where you know at the exact same time you can go into the white neighborhood and find 10 times the number of people That's carrying right. cannabis. Cannabis. And that one over there that has three ounces, eh, that was for personal use. This one over here has one joint. He was a distributor. Right. So let's lock him up for 45 years to 100 years and keep filling the, the ranks of the commercial prison. But, yep. And it was reinforced starting in the 1930s by Ansling, was reinforced yep. then again by Reagan, yep. Nixon, Reagan. And yep. then, of course, Nixon, um, Nixon but also, um, you know, President Clinton. Oh, yeah. Um, Bill Clinton. People, so, you know, people think uh, Billy Boy was a good guy. You best rethink this whole thing. No. And, you know, I, I, I'm not. It's not an aspersion, but unfortunately, we have to remember that we have a vice president who was a attorney general who, under her tutelage, arrested more people of color in California than anyone before her. Mm. And there's the same person who talked smack before getting elected. I'm going to do something in the first 10 months. And are we not looking at another possible run for office? And they're going to come with their hand out begging for money from us, the community, the, mm-hmm. the cannabis community. And all, oh, yeah, we're thinking about changing. Let me, let me tell you, I've said it over and over again. Donald Trump says tomorrow, I'm legalizing marijuana. He's reelected president. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Everybody on this side that should literally look at that as a joke will back him up because he's going to give us a better foot up. But unfortunately, you don't understand that foot up is only going to be probably for a couple of years before they put a foot back down mm-hmm. on your neck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but I think whoever decides, and you, it's going to be discussed this go round. Yeah, I hope so. I, I hope, hope so, so too. Because we've talked about it. Um, it's gotten through some of the committees in Congress. Um, the various aspects of it, whether it is um, making certain that we move it off the schedule one, yes. Um, whether or not we're going to put um, allow, you know, just like for any any other business, allow the financials in order Correct. to support um, cannabis. They have to. But that is all in the hands of Congress right now, and it's holding it, us hostage. It's holding us hostage, and unfortunately, it's because and I, I got a little little take on that also. When we look at legislations around the country at the state level, mm-hmm. they are more representative of the population demographic of their community. Mm-hmm. Meaning, majority of local legislations 
right now, today, I think the predominant demographic within that legislation is baby boomers. You know, those that are about 50 to about 65, 67, 60, 70, right? But when we look at the Fed, we're looking at more like <laughs> late 60s, Eight. early 80s. Yeah. And that demographic was the one that, you know, they were the hippies. Mm-hmm. We're the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Baby boomers remember, I smoked a joint under the bleacher. I still had a successful career. Mm-hmm. So why not make this legal? If you look across the country with all issues that are passing bills to make medical marijuana okay, look at the predominant demographic of that legislature. They are mostly between the ages of mm, 58, 67. Yeah, the shifts, there's a shift. There's yes. an absolutely clear shift. So we got to shift more. Yeah. We got to get some of this old guard out of Washington, D.C. Oh, and then next thing you know, this will pass. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. Though some of the young ones coming on are sent in some spaces are even more conservative. So, so we need to look at that as I well. I know. But and that's yeah. also because of, I think, a disservice that this industry has done to itself. And I have been, um, you know, I, I've been in this business for 20 years. Mm-hmm. This is not Montel hanging out for the last two or three years trying to make it big in the gold rush or the green rush. Heck no. I'm the reason for half of the states in this country that have any form of legislation, whether it be medical or uh, rec. Mm-hmm. I testify here in Massachusetts, in mm-hmm. Connecticut, in Maine, in New Jersey, in Florida, in Texas, in Arizona, mm-hmm. in California, in Oregon. And, you know, I, I was, I've been running around this country for the last 22 years trying to make people understand that just like any other plant-based medicine, This has efficacious properties for those who consume it. And those who choose it, whether they admit to wanting to do so recreationally or medically, I think they all have a medical underlying reason why they use. Mm -hmm. To make a choice between drinking a beer Mm -hmm. and having cannabis Mm -hmm. is a conscious choice made by people who understand that I'm picking this cannabis, whether it be because I want to, that's medical, sorry. If it's because I want to, you know, ease some of that back pain, that's medical. If it's because I just want to be able to disconnect from all the anxiety of the day, that's medical. We try to pigeonhole it into a disease. <laughs> Screw disease. Disease is exactly that, dis-ease. So why don't we look at it more from the symptoms that it's helping to ameliorate? Places like Israel, other places in the world already recognize that cannabis should be looked at as a geriatric drug in some ways. They've been doing this in Israel since 2012. Legal, age 75. Go in, show them your ID. Boom, you get a free eighth. What? Because they recognize that the prices of the drugs that the U.S. farm is shoving down their throat are so ridiculous that I can give a person in Israel a little cannabis instead. I visited multiple geriatric facilities, adult living facilities, where the people who run them said, I'm telling you, Montel, the only thing that calms down this entire facility is the cannabis we feed to them in the morning when but, they prepare. But it's the cannabis you feed them, but it's also not having the same bad symptoms as a result 
of taking that, ingesting that cannabis than they would than the chemicals that they're getting. Right, them. all Their organs are not being as negatively correct. impacted. Nobody's ever overdosed on cannabis. Not uh, happened. So, in the 5,000 years we know that it existed, not one death yet. So we know that our bodies can, mm. can ingest it and process it differently than the chemicals that were being given um, by the pharmaceutical companies. And that essentially perhaps is some of the reasons why we're having such a difficult time moving forward um, wait, at this stage. And, and we're going to continue to have a difficult time moving forward because I think, again, until some of that senior demographic gets out of the way, even not only in legislation, but in pharma, until they get out of the way, they're going to battle this. I to, agree. It's, it's just like, you know, I mean, I, 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 we, we know the effects that cannabis has in helping to alleviate stress. Just let's start with stress by itself. Mm -hmm. Stress being the active component of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm -hmm. We know that to treat a veteran on cannabis for their PTSD, eh, that bill could probably be around five to 10 grand a year, eh, maybe a little bit more, each individual. But the way we treat them at the VA, it's fifty-five to one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year with every pharmaceutical we can shove in them to keep them more addicted. Mm -hmm. So it's it's and, and until we start to figure out a way to make money off of six people in a different way, farmers going to keep doing this, yeah. shoving this down our throats, and forcing us to take things that cannabis really does help answer some of those, it provides solutions But, but it's also a re-education of yes. the masses, right? And in terms of root medicine, with the role of root medicine, yes. the role of um, the herbs. That Correct. Most most cultures have a in that root medicine, and it's the root medicine that Europeans have taken and chemicalized, right? Right, absolutely. Um, in order to sell back to us in a way that our bodies can't process. In a way they can make money. Yeah. So, yeah. so being very clear about it, yes. Yeah. And yeah. so I think we have to really be in this industry really vigilant about the but education. That's, but that's the problem. That's what I was said, but I started with that earlier, saying mm -hmm. that that's the biggest problem I think this industry is going to face even for the next 10 years. We are spending so much time B2B in it trying to figure out how I can offer you a better system to be able to collect money from people. Mm -hmm. How can I offer you a better way to lay out a facility mm -hmm. so I can collect money from you? Mm -hmm. When do we start talking to the consumer? That's right. Why isn't there more effort? I mean, I've been on this, this high horse speaking from Israel to Jamaica to you name it, all over the country, trying to convince this industry there's enough. We haven't even scratched the surface yet. We are just like the Wright brothers pushing that wooden plane down the hill. There's still jet engines to come. There's still overnight flights to come. Mm -hmm. There's still technolog technological breakthroughs mm -hmm. in this industry. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of money here. We know that by the time hemp cannabis gets done in the next 10, 15 years, this will be a multi-trillion dollar industry worldwide. There's no question, especially when you start looking at all the usages of mm -hmm. hemp, you know, from hempcrete to the fact that right now there are publicly traded companies that are hemp fibers, burned it into graphene, recognize it now. That graphene has a higher electrical storage capability than half of the batteries that were being made even by Elon Musk. So it's if we can make somewhere. batteries out of cannabis, we can make clothing out of cannabis, we can have food out of cannabis. Mm -hmm. It's a superfood. We know it's a superfood. Mm -hmm. By the time we get done 50 years from now, this will be a 
$4 trillion, $5 trillion industry. Yeah, but it's up to us, though, to really push that education piece and our own willingness we to do to this do differently. We have because to Because here's the challenge that I have, and you, and you do say, and, and I think that's why I'm glad I'm working with this group here, mm -hmm. um, um, Primitive, but particularly our focus on wellness, because it is around that. It is around re-educating people about how it is that they can stay healthy. We have it, to start holding. We have to. Letting the patient understand that we're not here just to make a buck. We're here to help you in your journey. That's right. And when this industry finally recognizes that, puts down, you know, the boxing gloves and recognize, I don't care about the fact that primitive is here and there may be another one two blocks away mm -hmm. or another one five Thank blocks you. away. Or another one ten That's blocks right. away. A rising tide lifts all boats. That's right. When we start recognizing that and coming together to That's say, right. let's come together. First off, the fact that, you know, Mass has been, you guys have been up and running now for what? Three years? Uh, and we still are supposed to get 52 in Boston, and I don't think we've gotten to that number yet. I don't yeah. remember what the number is. I think it's about 52. But and I don't guess, think we're, we've managed to do that yet because of all the regulations, all the rules. And by the way, here's the police as well. I'm, I'm concerned about us leaving behind the community whose back we stood on Correct. in order to get across this goal line where everybody's making money right now. I've been talking about it, this for the last 15 years. This is ridiculous that... This industry hasn't come together and formed a collective, not well, you have to be unionized, but let's form a collective, you know, what do they call them? Uh, like and the hyperbaric industry or association. Or mm -hmm. whatever. Let's, yeah. fight, let's form a group and hold ourselves accountable yeah. as a group. Yeah. There's no reason why there's product in the marketplace still that has butane in it. That's ridiculous. Right. There's no reason why we're not collectively getting together primitive and four or five others and holding events yeah. downtown that are free to the community to That's come right. out and be able to just listen. Yeah. To teach them, yeah, to tell them. That's right. You know, and of course, I know the legislation is, is made so that you can't promote and advertise, but it never stops you from educating. That's right. And you if can we educate. Did it, do it right. under the, not under the guise, but do it under the format of education. I don't need to shove my brand in your face. That's right. I shove my face in your face. Yeah, you right. look for my brand. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's all right. I got to do. That's right. Right. And that's, that's what right. we should start yeah. doing. So now, when did you, you're the DA. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. Send yeah. that boy to jail. Yeah. Unfortunately. Then all of a sudden, of it. then the next day you went, hmm, I ain't saying guilty. Hold on yeah. now. I ain't doing this. No, 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 yeah. no. When did that, when did that epiphany happen? Well, I think you? for me, um, it, you started understanding, I started having an understanding of our system mm -hmm. um, that I didn't get when I was sitting in law school. I started having a larger understanding of the impact of laws, policy, laws, regulation, and practice on our communities. And so, yeah, I left. I left the DA's office because you, you, you get to see, you either, you either stand there and keep fighting mm -hmm. or you have to figure out what are the other ways that you can impact. Because by the time I'm seeing the kid sitting um, in, in that little um, jail area that we right. normally have in the courts, it's mm -hmm. actually, in my mind, a little bit too late. And so for me, I wanted to get ahead of the curve. And ahead of the curve, for me, our saving grace is education. I believe that. I wanted to make and, and really get our our focus on how we provide better quality and access to a higher education opportunity to fa to families and children. Mm -hmm. So I went and looked focused on policy. And, and I got to that by in, in the Attorney General's office. In the Attorney General's office, when I walked in back in 1991, I think Clinton was just about to start his welfare reform effort. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'm, I'm a family. We, we, we believe in work. Um, we believe in agency. We believe in so all of that is right. But you know what? 
You can't do that on your own. I don't care who you are. Right. Nothing happens on your own. And we were asking these women to go back to work, and we didn't have a system in place in order to support and nurture their children. Right. And so I got involved in policy because of that. And I think through the efforts of the Attorney General at the time, I was able to start a group called Operation Child Watch, where we began to really understand what the impact of this policy was and the regulations that came out of it um, on children and on families. And I decided that that's where I wanted to spend my time, um, at the top of the chain, where the policy get developed, um, where we're really looking at the regulations, the systems that really impact people's lives. So I did that for a while. At that point, still not really involved in cannabis, mm -hmm. um, because that was not a focus of my world. Um, f fast forward, I don't know, 20, 25 years later, um, I have a friend of mine, we were, uh, we were ADAs together, mm -hmm. and um, when the law passed, I was out of the legislature. The, I, was, I got out of the legislature in 2010, and 2016, 2017, things were revving up around the legalization of, of cannabis in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and I think question four came up, and um, she was very much involved in that, and then at the end, um, got involved with a group that was launching sort of the first effort. Um, to open up a retail establishment in Boston. Gotcha. And she reached out to me. Okay. When she reached out to me, I was like, girl, listen, I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. I said, you, you know, because I was thinking about all the things that I um, experienced as, a, as an AD kid. So, and that's where I started. And she said, girl, go read. Mm -hmm. She says, you've been brainwashed by what, what we were taught. Right. Go read. And I did. Mm -hmm. And it took me a year. Um, 2016, 2017, 2018, I got involved in 2018. In 2018, I got involved because at that time, folks of color, black people particularly, were not getting involved in cannabis in Boston. Right, and crazy. we, it, and, and all of, and when you saw who the investors were, when you saw who were going out after the applications, it was not us. Mm -hmm. And then I think about when I was in Framingham, the, you know, the large majority of the kids were locking up were Latino, by the way, in Framingham at the time, and some black, but that was the largest um, group. And I said, you know, we've got to figure out a way to get folks to think it's okay. And, I, and so she in, uh, initially invited me, took some time, and then I came back in, and I wanted to base it on, yeah, folks say, oh, Marie, you did this for money. Well, yeah, I have to get paid for what I do. No I have no problems no, about there's that. There's no reason why you shouldn't be remunerated. <laughs> so right? I have no problem with that, and I own it. Absolutely. But the reality is, with the work that I have done, the platform that I had, I had an opportunity to let people know it was okay, Yeah. to tell us that it was okay. And we could also think about what does the systems look like that we're going to ask people to come in and participate in? How are we going to make certain that when you think about the fullness of the industry, it's not simply about this retail space. No. It's about the attorneys. You know, MJ Biz, <laughs> I went to MJ Biz and it blew my mind. Yes. When I went in and I saw, because, you know, you have a picture of who you thought was in this industry. Sure. And when I walked in and there was barely anyone that looked like me in this huge space that was in Las Vegas. Um, there were lawyers. There were doctors. There were yeah. engineers. There were accountants. There were financial people. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you told me this was a cannabis business. Where right. are the? But that is people who were, in, you know, who are looking at agriculture. It was just amazing, and we weren't there. And those are the people, though, that literally, you know. And I don't, I'm not, I don't knock the industry, but you know, a lot of the people that were at those conventions are people who five years before that were, were no. anti-cannabis. That's right. They were the ones who said, "No, this doesn't work." But now they feel an opportunity and money. That's right. And they jumped out. And so what's happened is that money has driven the business aspect right. of this through the roof. That's right. But the care for those who were part of the legacy beginning that's of this. 
yes. is completely out of their heart. That's they it. have no understanding that's of that. And they don't care about that's that. It. And so that's I think it. some of us have to keep ringing the bell. That's right. And yeah, that, I think, is why I got in. I know that's why I got involved. And in fact, I try to stand at a, the National Association of Cannabis Business to really actually elevate that. Because we have to be the ones ringing the bell. Otherwise, we're complicit. Correct. And going to be left out of this industry the same oh, way we've been left out of so many absolutely yes. absolutely and i see it and and it starts with access to capital right. because in in the systems that we put in place are built so that you cannot even though we talk the talk Correct. but we don't walk the walk well, that's the whole idea this whole all over the country is these this term equity or, of their bills social equity social equity which i think yeah. is just social bullshit excuse my mouth but i'm telling you the truth yeah. because a lot of these places, a lot of states around the country, you know, people go out and slide $5,000 or $10,000 over this guy, that guy, put your name on my application. There you go. So, and then, you know, when the application goes through, that's all you get, that $5,000. Right. And the $20 million that comes in the next year yeah, goes right. in the pockets of those who slip you that five grand. That's exactly right. So it's time for us, not only, again, but that's also part of the education. That's I right. think that, again, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that we're sitting here. We are coming from primitive dispensary, which hasn't even opened yet. I happen to be in here checking out the space. Space is going to look nice. I'm telling you, you come into Boston, you need to run on down here. They already got little displays put together. You know, they got good edibles and, you know, they're probably going to be carrying the Montel Inspire product. I so think so. Come on down and look forward. So. And, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, as... You know, and, and please, believe me, I don't say this because I'm some sort of a usurper or a carpetbagger. Opportunity to come here... Uh, I'm back up for a second. You don't know this about me, but I, I started literally in the dispensary business myself, um, made a couple of attempts at being involved in this business in an industry that was literally informable because there were people who had money that wanted to make sure they could keep it a little bit more exclusive. Was not had no intention of getting back into this business, you know, from a person providing product or even working with dispensaries. And then and into a group here in Massachusetts. I had them on my podcast, as a matter of fact, at that, um, you know, reinvigorated my belief in the fact that there are some good people out here. Mm -hmm. So I decided, yeah, maybe this is a good place to come back in and get started again. Mm -hmm. And I teamed up with the Freshly Baked guys. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, Jenny and um, Phil, uh, veterans, um, wounded veterans, uh, disabled veterans. Mm -hmm. um, we had a long conversation on my podcast. And I said, you know what? I really like these guys. Let's call them back up again. Mm -hmm. What do you guys know? Would you like to see if we could get involved together? And they said, yeah, let's do something. Mm -hmm. Okay, boom. So I decided to relaunch my uh, my own brand and did so here. And now, now that I'm here, I'm in about 40 different dispensaries. And to, to be here. Oh, that's right. So I'm making 41. So, But I mean, I'm, I'm literally having fun being able to be the, not the outsider, but just, if I could be, the unifier mm -hmm. for, because, see, I, I, I do have a dog in a race, but I'm not affecting you or anybody else. I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to, again, that rising tide lifts all boats. I agree. So I'd rather come in, get an opportunity to work with multiple dispensaries here that have one objective in mind. And that objective in mind is not just to make money, but to elevate the consumer experience. Make this available to those who unfortunately can't afford. Uh, I take one drug, $1,800 a month. Are you kidding me? For one drug, 1800
Okay? And that's on discount because I think it runs for about $3,700. Most people can't afford this drug. I've been doing this for 20 years. Now, there are some benefits from cannabis that do pretty much the same thing that that drug that I'm believing in because it's supposedly I've been shoved down my throat from Western medication. But cannabis does offer some of the same qualities of this $3,800 drug. I'm not going to say the name because I don't yeah. want them trying to sue me. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, we know that diseases like the one I have, which is an autoimmune disease, mm -hmm. is rooted in inflammation. Mm -hmm. If we believe in the science that we've been told over the last 60 years, and we had confirmed by who we claim to be the smartest man of the last century, Albert Einstein, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. So for every disease that God gave us, he put on this yes, planet a cure. Yes, he There's did. There's no question. Yes, he did. We're destroying the majority yes, of it. Did. Or she did. <laughs> yeah. We're destroying the majority of it. Mm -hmm. But some of it's still here. That's right. We have recognized the anti-inflammatory, analgesic, anti-spasmatic qualities of the cannabinoids within the hemp plant. Yeah. So why not, if I can get some efficaciousness out of that plant, out of this weed. Yeah. Which, which won't destroy your spleen, which correct. won't destroy your kidney. Won't, which destroy, won't destroy anything. Your heart. As a matter of fact, boost a system that we are only some of the only animals that have on the planet. Yeah. The you know, the endocannabinoid system. So if I can use that product, give it to a patient for less than that eighteen hundred dollars a month copay, mm -hmm. I think there is a way for us to better all mankind. Agreed. And then add to the fact that this has, you know, who knows? There, I've been told that there's up to 2,500 different usages for the hemp plant itself. If we start to just like, you know, the peanut, the hemp plant has those uses. Remember, let's go back when Henry Ford first built a car, he was building with the thought in mind to maybe drive it off of hemp oil. Mm -hmm. Not petroleum, folks. So, yes, yeah, so one of his first cars was made with hemp fiber. Huh, people didn't know that either. So the truth is, it's a product that it's time has come. We need to have more education so that across the board, first off, for the people of brown and black, we need to re-educate them to yes. make them understand that we were not the villains. Yes. We weren't responsible for marijuana coming to America. And yes, we were disproportionately singled out for it. So you have this generational hatred of the plant because of what it did to Their family. your family members and your ancestry. But wasn't but, the plant really? Well, it wasn't the plant, but it <laughs> wasn't the plant. You know, come on now. Let's educate you, let you know that there's so right. many properties in that there plant that are go. so good for you. That's right. And we just got to, you know, so what? what is that going to entail? It's going to entail having groups like Primitive team up with a couple other groups and let's Let's do a Sunday morning assault on all the black churches. Oh, I'd love it. Every single one of them at the same time. I'd love it. Let's be in there in that church, talking to the pastor who last week said, stay away. Excuse me, pastor. Hold on a second. I understand why you feel that way. Mm -hmm. But um, if it was good enough for the baby Jesus, why ain't it good enough for me? Because remember, when those three wise men showed up, Incense, incense, frankincense, myrrh. Frankincense is a cannabis type of plant. Yeah. 
Why did they give it to babies? Because babies had something called colic. Right now. If you go back in time, 2,000 years ago, we had whooping cough, mm-hmm. colic, and other respiratory illnesses, especially in desert places. So what mothers would do is they would burn a little bit of cannabis inside the tent so, so the baby could the- breathe. Well, open up the... Come on, now there's truth in science. Yes. Okay? So whenever I have a pastor or a minister tell me something about... I, I, I'm so sorry, but if... It was good enough for the baby Jesus. Why can't I do it? And remember, Jesus himself went around using something called anointing oil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's go back and find out what that anointing oil was made of. Same type of plant. Stop with the stupid. Come on now. So, but I mean, you could preach that on a Sunday morning and explain to the fact Mm -hmm. that I'm not talking to you about going out and, you know, disrupting, having a euphoria that's so high that... You know, you can't function. I'm talking about feeding a system in your body responsible for your cellular homeostasis at the mitochondria level. This is something that we've been meant to have. All mammals on the planet have the ability to digest cannabis and it antagonizes that system that helps us create our own endocannabinoids. God wouldn't have done that. Built for you, meant for you. Well, there you go. But so, man keeps it up. He can't make money. Without a it. doubt. And we go we way, go. way back. You brought it up earlier. You said the people like Anslinger, people don't remember and don't they don't do the homework. Yeah. Anslinger was the biggest proponent of the anti-alcohol movement. He was the biggest prohibitionist in the country. Then all of a sudden. The Fed came and yanked his job out from under him. Well, they gave him a new job. At that, when they, he petitioned for that new job. He uh, went and saw William Randolph Hearst and Charles DuPont mm-hmm. and said, hmm, let's make this stuff. Because yeah. when he was a prohibitionist, he was actually doing speeches that's, that touted the efficaciousness of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Nonviolent. Mm-hmm. It's a good choice for those people who were like, Anstung was saying that all the time. But then all of a sudden, he found himself without a job. Homeboy needed to be employed. Yeah. Figured that the best way to do it was go after darkies. Yeah, well, the alcohol lobby That's right. wanted him off the case. So That's right. they, they, yep. get, they gave him a new position, gave Federal him. Bureau of Narcotics. Especially when he came right out the jump, <laughs> blaming yep. it on us. Yes, he did. Well, oh, went after the jazz singers, went after all. Oh, that's exactly where correct. he spent his time. And it was make a black man be willing to step on a white man's shadow. Yeah. Have white women want to have sex with black men? Yes. That was it. That was the. That was, that was vilification. The that there was you the go. They used. Let's do it. And it continues. Continues to it the continues. day. So, what the good thing is, I'm so glad that you are. Are you a board member of Primitive, or, or? I am a partner in Primitive. Oh, okay. congratulations! Yeah. I'm a little partner. In Primitive. Well, okay, that's all right. But I love it. I love it. I love the group that I'm working with. They're good people. Um, they do have a focus on education. Um, I pull up the idea of wellness. They also, I understand that as we bring young people, because there's a lot of young people who work in this industry, that we have to be mindful about how we respect them, how we support them, how we train them, and how we grow them. And we've got some real great um, mentors for them. Ricardo Figueroa is one of them right here, one of the best folks. And we've got Lindsay Duchesne, um, who's worked for other MSOs, but has come to us willing and learning what 
she doesn't want to see and want to bring it here and make it better. And I think we're seated where we need to be seated. And um, we're seating, right, you know, three, we're th three, there, I guess, well, there are four of us, three black white gentlemen who works with us. We're seated right here in the financial district, um, which I think is very important, the message that we're sitting here. Um, and what I say to people, when I decided to do this work, I took an afternoon and sat in a doctor's office to see and understand who walked through the door. And it shocked me again, because if you listen to the, to the narrative, it's all fallen drunk, ghost-like people. And these were professionals. These were grandmothers. These were, and by the way, majority of them, white. And let's also back up here for a second. We know now for a fact, and this is something, again, that I'm coming at the industry, need to wake up. 35 and below, they come in here. Yeah. They buy one, two, two pre-rolls out the dough. Mm -hmm. 35 and above, they spend $200. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the generation, the baby boomers and the you know, Gen Xers or mm -hmm. the millennials right behind them, you know, those people who are right now in America, 15 above, starting to recognize, I don't want the crap that's coming from pharma no more. Amen. I am able to take care of myself and have a fairly decent life just by using various forms of cannabis. Let's educate them. That's Go right. right at them. You know, that whole model. And, and we're I, ready, right? And, ready. I think, I think, I think uh, you know, a couple years ago, you know, Hollywood's mantra has always been 18 to 34. Every show that they make, all the advertising that they make, all the commercials that they go after, 18 to 34. Well, really? Keep going after them right now because they ain't got no money. <laughs> Half of those 18 to 34 are living in their parents' basements. It's the baby boomers who are taking care of them. That's right. And there's articles that have been out in the last two weeks that are talking about the fact that the hottest moving videos on TikTok are from people who are 65 and older. The fastest moving videos on YouTube are they're calling them grand influencers because people are starting to recognize, first off, it's that demographic that has the most disposable income That's in America right. today. That's right. And they ain't going light out like mom and dad. No, they're not. They're not they're sitting in that rocking chair. Look, right now, right <laughs> now, millennials, generation X's, they're saving as much money as they can. But guess what? Baby boomers, <laughs> Let me go get some. You know what I'm saying? And they're the ones walking in this front door. So let's start putting on events for them. That's right. Let's start That's making right. sure. I'm telling you, I, I'm so it's excited. excited. I'm, so you're going to come back and put one of those events on with us? Come on now. Okay. You know, I, I, awesome. I would love to. I would come back one night and I'm going to do, Ricky's going to help us out and okay. get this done. But okay. over the next couple of months, I want to want to maybe have, you know, let, let's get together and have a little dinner between yourself and maybe a couple, I won't dot names, but a yep. couple of other the dispensaries are in different areas around Love here, it. close enough by, maybe 40 miles away. Yep. Let's get together, sit down and talk about an event that we four can put on together. Love it. And then what you do is, ah, let's take a good month to prep for that. Thanks. How do we prep for it? We hire a couple of guys to go to every single church in this area. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday morning, you hand out flyers. Mm -hmm. You hand out from the counter, an opportunity to come to an event that you might be able to win a 30-minute session with any bud tender of your choice to give you answer any question that you have. Mm -hmm. And then let's also bring you out. And I've got doctors from Harvard. I got doctors from some of the top places in this country who could come in and sit down and do a real seminar looking at the real data with the patients that they've been doing. We got one doctor out of um, Harvard. That guy what, got like 500,000 patients. 
that he's wow. already he's categorized, gotten information from. Okay. So he is now putting that into a data bank to be able to help. Law- this is a massive amount of data when it comes to a medication. You know, so let's bring them into a room and let's sit down, you know, let's get out some free tea and crumpets. That's okay. <laughs> give out some free tea That's and crumpets right. and give out some, you know, little, uh, if we can't do discount cards. We can do discounts of some sort. Yeah. So let's make sure they understand they're appreciated. Yeah. They'll share the word. They'll spread the word. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All in. All right. All in. Okay. Well, and, thank you. Know, you. And thank I, you. I would love to go, you know, I know you guys are, are in multi-states right now, right? Well, mm-hmm. the, the prim- my partners were just here in Boston, but okay. working with um, Primitive, with okay. um, Calvin and uh, Rob Sims. Okay. Then um, they have, you know, pri- Primitive in Michigan. Okay. And occasion, don't they? They have California, maybe? Do they have? Well, Michigan, I mean, you know, yeah. see, I just, I will launch, my product line will launch in Georgia. Okay. In a month. And, um, you know, I've got some interest in uh, everywhere from Illinois to New Jersey to, you know, some people in Florida kind of talking. So, you know, this also might be an opportunity for us to come in and kind of synergistically see where we might be able to go together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I agree with you that if we all get together, we can actually have a... This industry needs us to be vocal, to be clear. Correct. um, And direct. And so I'm I'm excited. Really excited. I'm telling you, thank you so much for being a part of this. And I wish you well with Primitive. I know you you. guys are going to do really well. You're going to knock it out the park. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you for listening and make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.